Hi, I'm Rain Barry, and from wherever you're listening to the Audio Wave Cafe podcast, I really do appreciate you joining me. Okay, I think that's enough for the chat. My guest on this episode is DJ and record producer Chris Long, better known as the Rhythm Doctor. First, I bring you music news and views, and I shine a spotlight on the Philly sound. Oh, and I'll also be playing Young Girls, a song written and recorded by Skeet and produced by Chris. Let's move on. First up on music news and views is about 47-year-old Travis Barker, drummer with Californian punk band Blink-182. Yeah, good band. One of their biggest hits was All the Small Things in 1999. Anyhow, that was a long time ago and their best years were in the late 90s and early 2000s. So maybe Travis is desperate to boost his music celebrity status by having a waxworks figure made of himself and exhibited at Madame Tussauds in Las Vegas. Now over the years I've seen good and bad recreated celebrity figures, and the bad ones you'd think would be instantly disowned by the poor baffled celebrity. But Travis Barker is very pleased with his waxwork lookalike. He even provided a complete leather outfit from his wardrobe, with over 100 tattoos faithfully recreated on his face and body, the attention to detail really is amazing. The icing on the cake would be his figure suddenly springing to life, shouting obscenities. Oh yeah, I'd definitely go and see that. 100 million record seller Cher recently stated that she's so stressed that if Donald Trump or President Troll, as she calls him, is elected President of the United States in November 2024, she will leave the country. She's that incensed. For a long time now, Cher has been concerned with Trump targeting the LGBTQ community and also anti-trans legislation would be on Trump's agenda. From where I sit across the pond, Trump could well be returned to the White House. Cher, book your plane tickets well in advance, but don't come here. There are lots of people who would love to do what you're doing. Finally, Gary Lightbody, guitarist in Snow Patrol, had to stop a show mid-song at the Limelight Live Music Venue in Belfast recently when he was forced to stop singing for a few minutes, when he suddenly started burping <laughs> and couldn't stop. I feel for you, Gary, I really do. Could have been worse, with more than burps you had to contend with. Yeah, let's move on. My guest on this episode is producer and DJ Chris Long. Better known as the Rhythm Doctor, he's been a major player on the dance scene in this country since the 1970s. Chris, thanks so much for joining me on this call. Well, thank you very much, Ray. I'm very pleased to be on your show. Thanks for asking me. Where does the Rhythm Doctor name come from? I'd already started DJing, but we didn't. I didn't have a kind of DJ name. But So I started this night in Busters called the Rhythm Clinic. For some reason, it just transmuted into me being the rhythm doctor at the rhythm clinic. That was it, really. Simple as that. The rhythm clinic came first and then just through friends saying, oh, you must be the rhythm doctor then. Okay, I'm I'm the rhythm doctor. Okay, can you tell us what's involved with being a DJ today? Well, things have moved on since I started, obviously. You know, first I was just playing some collection of records I I liked and loved, you know, which was at the time was reggae and punk, just vinyl. But these days, of course, you know, everything's moved on through through 
DJs used CDs, then they used USBs and computers. You know, I, personally, I don't like using computers to DJ with. I prefer using vinyl, but that's not possible all the time because it's heavy. And, I, you know, when you're over 60 carrying heavy boxes, it, it's a luxury for if, if the promoter will pay for my transport with record boxes, by all means, I'll, I'll play vinyl. Um, but then again, half the time, a lot of venues don't have good setup for vinyl anyway. They, they're 90% set up for digital format now. So I, I usually play a bit of both. I carry USB sticks with files on them and use digital players to manipulate them, which is, but the players are so good. The digital players are so good. It's, they're basically the same controls as a, vinyl turntable that you use like the techniques sl1200s which are the dj standard for years they have pitch control you know you can move the pitch but they actually have pitch control whereby the pitch of the music doesn't change just the speed it goes up faster but the pitch remains the same which you can't do on vinyl you can't do on vinyl records of course as soon as you pitch them up there's a digital interface that corrects the you know, auto tunes it, but you can't hear it at all. You just pitch it up, and it still remains the same pitch, but it goes fast. So these tools, these are just basic tools that I use. You know, there's if you go into laptop DJ, and then there's it's a whole use Serato or other or or tractor to DJ with. It's incredible what what you you can do. But I'm not. I'm not interested in that. I prefer to keep to the skills I know. I don't necessarily learn. I don't want to learn new skills. No need. There's no need for them as far as I'm concerned. You know, I'm not a f sort of flash DJ. I keep it quite simple. But to some people, of course, it's the, they, they could play. You can play like 20 seconds of a record and get it exactly in, in sync and in, in tune with the, the next 20 seconds. You know, some people are that fast and they like to ma manipulate the music like that. But it's not for me so i'm i'm happy doing like playing three or four minutes minimum of a song and then moving on to the next one maybe plays eight minutes of a song i don't mind whatever but i think these days a lot of audience expect things a bit faster you know the younger audience used to hearing things passing quickly past their ears whereas i prefer to let things take take their time you know a bit more organic <laughs> yeah interesting stuff <laughs> If I wanted to set up as a DJ and go on the road, would that cost me much? No. The main thing is that you'd have to have the knowledge of your music and know where you're going with your music and understand the music and know intimately the, the tracks you're going to play. You could go and play in a club that's got all the equipment for you and you wouldn't have to, do, you wouldn't have to collect any records. You could buy or even get downloads, MP3 downloads for free or for 99p you know you could put a set together for 20 pounds and buy a usb stick for 15 pounds and you'd have to learn of course how to use the machines which if you haven't got them at home then it's very difficult you'd have maybe you can find somewhere someone to teach you and then that of course that would cost you but if you just want to go out and play music which some people say is what DJing is all about. You can just go out. You can just go out and play music. You can play one record and then you can play the other. You don't have to manipulate them at all if you don't want to. 
whether you'd be successful, I don't know. People expect a certain level of showmanship or some skills, you know. Get to know your music. What music you're passionate about, play that and get to know your music intimately and have a certain style and feel about your presentation, you know. Right. Okay. What styles of music do you like to spin? Always love reggae music and house, jazz, electronic, African, reggae, dub. I've never ventured into heavy metal or anything, although I've got nothing against it. It's just not for me. I like some of the classics, of course, rock and heavy metal. You know, I love I love all the classic British stars, you know, like Bowie, Roxy Music. Together with Jerry Dammers of The Specials, you created the three A's. What is that? Well, that was the Artists Against Apartheid. Uh, well, it was an organisation that Jerry set up in London. And when I went down there, I kind of I re-hooked up with Jerry and, and uh, he wanted to do a night that supported the Artists Against Apartheid movement. And uh, together we found this amazing basement in Covent Garden. It was actually a community youth club in Covent Garden. It had a basement recording studio and it had this w- wicked vaulted room which you can see on the opening of um, Quadrophenia, actually. There's a live young band who play and they turns up there on his scooter and goes in down the stairs. That club night on Quadrophenia is actually the same venue we used to make the Three A's Club. We had that on for about nine months. Everybody got paid 25 quid. That's, you know, all the star DJs like Soul to Soul, uh, On You Sound System, Norman J. Nearly everybody from the London DJ scene played there, you know, and they all supported it for just a minimum token fee. And all, all the money went into the Artist Against Apartheid. People just loved the atmosphere there. It was so good. Are you still in contact with Jerry? Yeah, I am actually. Yeah, I spoke to him about two or three weeks ago. He said, oh, I hear you're putting out a new record because Jerry knows Kay Booth, who's the singer on this record I'm putting out from 81 the skeet record they did actually have a, a romance for a few months so i wish i'd forgotten all about Kay and jerry are still in touch with each other so he'd heard that i've through Kay that I'd, i'm releasing some of their old material and he was really interested in it and said please send me a copy you know yeah great stuff can you tell us about your time in 80s commentary band the swinging cats oh the swinging cats yeah well that was great because i as I went to college with Toby, who was the keyboard player, I kind of, when I heard that there was a band, I was always interested and turned, went to their gigs and got to know them all, you know. The, the main core of the band never really changed was uh, John Shipley, Toby, and uh, Steve Wynn on bass. Those three were the main core. The drummers changed a bit and the vocalists changed. And somehow I just tagged on as it, I, I started off, Banging the bongo, you know, and banging the bongo, shaking the maracas, and tapping the cowbell, you know. So percussion was was required, I thought. Anyway, the Swing Cats were offered to be the uh, final specials tour in UK. A bit of an idiot, I said, I'll, 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 I'll I know all the songs. I can sing the song. I'll be the singer. I can sing, which I, you know, I can sing. I can keep a tune, and I'm not bad. But uh, nothing was to prepare me for that tour. The first date on that tour was in front of 5,000 people at the Cornish Riviera in Newquay. We'd done one warm-up gig in the Hope and Anchor in, in London, which had about, you know, you can't get more than 150 people in there anyway. It was packed and madness were there and all kinds of people were there. That 
the first gig I sang with the Swinging Cats, like as a rehearsal for the tour, but completely different kettle of fish, that tour. Nearly all the arenas were big, you know, over a thousand people. And it was a heavy duty tour, something like 36 dates in 40 nights across UK, you know. It was in, it was crazy. So, yeah, that's a little Swinging Cats story. I, I did appear on the record, not as the vocalist, on the two-tone record, I, I do. You can hear bits of my percussion work and any little bits of tapping and cowbells and uh, claves and uh, vibra slap. <laughs> They're all in there. <laughs> he was a real percussionist. <laughs> I had a, I had a, I had a stage name there, didn't I? I was called Craig Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> 30 years ago, you produced a top 10 hit on the US Billboard Chart 100 list. What was that? I got into producing music and I, uh, with a French guy in London. The record was called Enjoy Life and the artist was called Wave. Met this French guy through my DJ and he's a musician. You know, He could actually play keyboards. I could just program. I knew about programming music on computers you know rhythm tracks and samples and uh it was a good combination because he was a very talented keyboard player and engineer as well we touted that track around and some friends went to america but at that time when we had the first record out on eight ball they just went to america and touted it to several independent labels that we thought would be interested in that particular kind of music it was kind of deepish jazzy-ish house this label eight ball that's what they did they wanted to put it out so underground kind of label but uh, well known in the dance music community in new york especially the people who worked for them were proper long-term clubbers. They had really good connections with like big players like Frankie Knuckles and Shep Pettibone. All the big New York DJs were kind of hip to the, their label and they were friends with them. So the track we did, Enjoy Life, was decided to edit it, make it longer. And that was Frankie Knuckles' idea. The club version that came out on the finished copies, the 12-inch was something like eight minutes long. You know, The record label had good connections with the dance chart of billboard because it was it wasn't in the sales chart of billboard it was in the dance chart which is a different thing that's created by all the djs and feedback from clubs you know i don't think they sold many maybe five ten thousand but you didn't need to sell a lot to get into the dance chart it was a good experience because it took me to new york dj there a few times presented the record there and uh, yeah and that's i actually met frankie knuckles and shep pettibone at, we went to dinner you know which is like one of the highlights of my career actually what are your links with my previous podcast guest, Nigel Meffer? Back when I was living in Coventry and around the early 80s, they, Nigel and his brother Gary formed a band called Skeet. I must have just gone to hear them because they were up-and-coming band and really liked them. And then they were looking for a vocalist or Kay Booth just appeared perfectly uh, as the right vocalist for them. And uh, I used to go to all their gigs as many as I could and then in, they didn't do that many to be honest and then I put them on at the nights I would do at the Hope and Anchor or in Busters they recorded tracks in my house actually we had like a spare space downstairs which was really good for recording so they with uh, a guy called Lee Shale he kind of engineered the, the session and um, 
They recorded it on Toby from Between Cats and Colourfields, Tiak, but also Jerry Damas's mixer, they tell me. And uh, those tracks remained unreleased and, you know, forgotten about. And uh, then through Facebook, I suppose, many years, maybe 10 years ago, I reacquainted with Nigel to see what he was doing with alternative sounds. And I suppose the last five or six years, we got to know each other again. Then came this uh, turn up for the books on um, Bandcamp with this Australian producer picking off one of the tracks from Alternative Sounds CD comp of Skeet because there was one release. Nigel put one out and basically raved about it. Said this track by Skeet, brief call, what is it? So mysterious, beautiful, simple song, you know, that you can make with just bass, drums, guitar and vocal, you know. We saw this and I thought, wow, I've long wanted to start another record label and this would just be perfect. For me, you know, it's music I love and I've always supported and it's unheard of, you know, it's like almost unknown. And that's what I call my record label. So through that, we're releasing this uh, six skeet tracks of, from 81, you know, which only one has ever been heard. And we remastered them as best we could from cassette. That's all they existed on a cassette. And, and I'm very happy with the results and the people I've played it to are just, wow, this sounds so now music sounds like it's now you know yeah it's got a it has got a timeless quality because of its simplicity probably and like nice guitar hooks nice melodic hook strange drum machine you know antiquated drum machine sound in the background kind of not you know it's it's got it's it's got a lot of charm and people really like it people who quite revered in the music world have said to me this i've played a little bit to them and they've said yeah this is fantastic <laughs> so i'm glad it's a great time to put it out and it's going to be a vinyl only release and it's a limited edition of 250 hand numbered copies and it's got a nice sleeve and uh, it sounds great so <laughs> i don't think there'll be a trouble selling it well this is a perfect moment to wrap up this interview chris thanks so much for being my guest it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you, Ray. It's very nice. nice. Nice talking to you. Almost 100 miles south of New York sits Philadelphia, famous for Sylvester Stallone climbing up the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art in the 1976 film Rocky. For me, though, the city is better known for the Philly sound or Philadelphia soul, and it was Kenny Gamble, Tom Bell and Leon Hoff accredited with the development of the genre in the late 60s through their record label, Philadelphia International Records, and the recording studio that became the birthplace of Philly Soul, is Sigma Sound Studios. And unusually for America, the building is now safe from being turned into a car park or Taco Bell by being incorporated into the National Register of Historic Places. Does America have something similar to Blue Blacks? I don't know. Anyhow... The Philly sound is mostly funk and Motown influence with heavily produced strings and horns. Some of the bands that made their name at the record label were The Stylistics, Billy Paul, The OJs and Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Even David Bowie and ZZ Top were attracted to Sigma Sound Studios. The Philly sound is considered the forerunner of disco music and what an impact disco had around the world. I remember being stunned at the time around the mid-70s when DJs playing disco in Philly quickly became more popular than the pop, rock and blues bands playing at the time. And unsurprisingly, most of those bands were squeezed out of their old venues. Audiences were happy to embrace fresh, exciting music they could dance to, and disco and the Philly sound provided that need. 
By the mid-80s, the Philadelphia International Record Label's glory days were over, and it was soon swallowed up by EMI and Capitol Records. But hey, the Philly sound will never go away. Record companies must be knocking out re-released vinyl albums and CDs as I speak. And you only have to head over to Spotify or YouTube and all the other platforms. There they are, those artists and songs that made a Philly sound a global music genre. Coming up is an original track by country band Skeet and issued on vinyl on Chris Long's record label, Almost Unknown. This is Young Girls. Skeet and Young Girls and thanks again to Rhythm Doctor Chris Long for being my guest. Coming up on the next episode my guest will be New Jersey based ska singer-songwriter Roger Apollon Jr. Also bringing you music news and views and I shine a spotlight on music producer Timberland. I think that's all for now. Uh, 
Yeah, it is. I'm done. Till next time.